Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Rocket podcast and I am excited, very, very excited to have another phenomenal guest join Mads and I. Uh, one of Mads's new best friends, we have Mr Luke Miller on the podcast. Thank you guys for having me on. I, I love the name of the podcast, by the way. I got to hear how that came about. <laughs> I could Pocket see Rocket. Smoking as Hannah was introducing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so so people know that have been listening to this for a long time. Um, it kind of came about. I started the podcast on my own, and now okay. I feel like I can't live without Mads. Um, so the Pocket Rocket podcast actually kind of works because we've got the tank with me as well. Um, but okay. yeah, it was, it was a name I got years and years ago after one of my early competitions. Someone called me. Uh, she might be small, but she packs a lot. Uh, she's a pocket rocket. So there we go. From there. Yeah. I love so it. Here I we are. It. I love it. There's new things coming with the podcast, which uh, people will hear about soon. Well, it sounds like it's a, a perfect setup for talking about like female health today, which I'm really kind of excited to dive into with you guys around birth control and everything that you guys want to discuss uh, around today's conversation. Yeah, so for those people that don't know, um, Luke is one of the leading educators in our world, in our fitness industry, in the bodybuilding world. Um, He is incredibly intelligent and and very well versed in female health, and and that was one of the reasons we wanted to bring him on. Um, He is also a co-host of the J3 University um, and he provides a huge amount of content on there so um, off the back of the co- podcast with John that we did last week we'd already been in conversation with Luke about coming on um, and, and we couldn't resist the opportunity so Mads and I are very very pleased to have you on. Well, well thank you with an introduction like that you're supposed to uh, under promise and over deliver I better live up to the to the standard of leading educator huh? You're supposed to take a bow or something. <laughs> <laughs> We'll say that. <laughs> right, drop. No, it's great to have you on, and we've got loads and loads to cover. We've covered loads on this podcast already, loads and loads of different topics. But I think specifically today, we'd like to talk to you about more specifically looking at female birth control. Maybe what are the better options? Understanding that although me and Hannah have spoken a lot about birth control, and maybe painted it in a bad light in some some respects, because I had an experience where I've now rectified my hormones, but it left me very, very, very low in, in some in some areas. Hannah, the same. Um, but, you know, it's not all bad. And some people do need birth control and will be taking birth control through their bodybuilding journey. So talking about maybe what the better options are, um, exposing maybe what the negatives are and maybe the long term implications if there are some for certain birth controls. And then touching on some other things regarding competing as a assisted athlete and also like the impacts that that can have I think yeah no that's a it's a great place to start I think with the conversation around birth control a lot of it is not demonizing it Um, it's very common in the culture in the U.S. to have people who really want to create a clickbaity title by saying like birth control is hormonal castration and birth control is not even something I would ever put my daughter on xyz continuation of that dialogue and the reality of this is, it's like, look, coaching is not always ideal on paper. So as much as the ideal situation for physique outcomes is no birth control implementation in place and then hormone optimization with HRT, um, that doesn't align with a large percentage of the, the people that we coach in their like daily lifestyle factors, right? Like a lot of them are not ready to be pregnant in any form of capacity. Um, and 
it's it's really uh, kind of shallow on a coach's part to ask someone to not use birth control if the reality of their situation is that they, they just can't handle being pregnant right now. So um, a lot of this should be just kind of around what's the best decision for physique outcomes. And so um, if you guys like are on the female module with uh, us on J3U, we do organize this into like least ideal to most ideal. Um, so least ideal uh, MADS is being progestin only. Um, so this would be like uh, injection, mini pill, implant, whatever progestin only version that would be. Um, and honestly, like the biggest thing is you're getting that decrease in endogenous hormone output um, without any version of like E2, which is going to hinder not only the muscle gaining process, but the fat loss process. We know estradiol has a huge role in nutrient partitioning, fat loss, recovery capacity for females. In fact, it's arguably potentially the biggest advantage females have. Um, so definitely going to be the worst in, in regards to that combined oral coming second as the second worst. Um, a lot of this has to do with whether you're choosing monophasic or triphasic, um, and then also the generation of progestin that you're using as well. Um, ideally, something second gen is kind of where we're seeing the least negative outcomes within the physique realm for the goals of physique development along birth control implementation. Um, and then monophasic over triphasic, just um, from like a stable environment type of perspective. Now, with that, I do suggest typically with skipping the placebo pill week, um, just like skipping that withdrawal of the placebo pill week. If this is the combined oral is the way that the athlete is going. Um, the downfall here is obviously the adherence because you can miss pills and, and things like that, right? Um, following up third and fourth would be like hormonal IUD third and then fourth copper IUD. So we're getting closer to the ideal here. Um, Hormonal IUD really kind of allowing for ovulation to occur. Um, and then after that, the copper IUD obviously not having hormonal influence. Now, with copper IUD, you're considering like potential issues to replace with supplementation. So you're thinking like zinc supplementation, even the potential of like um, needing to screen for liver function and things along those lines, needing to add tuck of supplementation because of copper being excreted into bile. Um, but that's going to be like our best option of the birth control methods in order to prevent pregnancy. Now, obviously, the ideal is going to be anything that's going to be like condoms or vasectomy or even NFP. Um, I just don't know how much we can trust people to adhere to NFP um, because of so natural family planning. Um, so that would be. Uh, mapping your menstrual cycle mapping out. Mapping your menstrual cycle. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it'd be like mapping your menstrual cycle out, understanding like percentage wise, what's your most likely days to get pregnant. It abstaining from sex then. Um, but uh, I don't really trust people to abstain from sex. So. <laughs> no, I I think there's I think that in an ideal world that's the best scenario. But I think that there's so many people that just don't like the idea of that because they think, oh well. You know, we're not crude. We don't need to be uncrewed here. But people are like, oh, well, that just takes the whole point of the whole thing away. So, yeah, like they're not people aren't so um, aren't so keen on You're that. You're about to get frisky and you go, actually, no. Have a minute. <laughs> Let me just check my temperature. On my yeah. <laughs> you know, the husbands love that one, too, because there's probably a lot of times they're left to their own devices when that's the case. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, look, the reality of it is, is like. <sighs> 
sit down, have an overview of like where you're at with your goal set. Um, how long are you going to be pursuing this? And then how long are you wanting to potentially resist being pregnant? And then um, choose the best option for you. There may be times where you need to switch, right? You may start somewhere and need to swap over to uh, a different option. Like I've had people, and this was horrible. Um, y'all know what? Y'all know Nexplanon, right? The the rod. Um, I had an athlete that. That's what I the had. Rod, the rod blo- The rod broke, so she was constantly bleeding. So she has had like three and a half weeks of just constant bleed because there's just a constant release of hormones with that rod broke, and so. Like, of course, like PTSD, she's like, I'm never getting back on on that again. She had it removed um, and then we just moved on to a different birth control option. Right. Um, but there there's there's options for for different people. Like I was just talking to Cameron, um, the girl who won NBC Nationals for wellness. The overall she was on depot and it's like commonly talked about the worst birth control option for females. And I would say that in most cases that is the case. But it allows her her adherence so she doesn't forget her pills she doesn't have a lot of the side effects that you stereotypically see with the depo shot and she clearly got lean enough using it and she won NBC nationals which is the biggest national show of the year in the states i, like, I think uh, there's a there's a resilience factor with this as well like there's a resilience factor with women taking androgens um and i think that with with contraception as well like some people don't really see see side effects they don't necessarily get the, the yeah. struggle with weight loss um I, I i had the the implant in my arm for oh my god years 10 years 12 years i never struggled to get lean like i never had a problem like i, I got i got peeled um fairly like okay i did an hour cardio day on the stairs but i didn't have to try too hard um and, and some people are just more resilient you know i know people who have the, the depot injection um a, a close friend of mine who won uh, a pro card a pca pro card last year absolutely peeled great at building muscle fantastic physique and and when she told me that's what she took i was like wow okay and, and some people are incredibly resilient but i think we need to remember as well like there is kind of a gen pop like a, the general like general feedback we get we can't we can't ignore um obviously there's going to be anomalies just like there is in physique development for people taking androgens and for for their resilience but yeah, it's it's interesting what you say there, Luke, and it, it it does highlight things for me to say, okay, they were, you know, maybe they were great whilst they were taking that, and then it makes me think, okay, well, maybe if they weren't taking that, how amazing yeah. could they be? How amazing yeah. could they be? Yeah. And yeah, you're going to hear the success stories, right? Like, unless people are in a position like this, they're not going to talk about the fact they were on something and it didn't work out for them. They just kind of rock down into the shadows and just don't mention it. Especially in the social media world of the highlight reel, right? Yeah. So. I think the reality of it is like we can still operate within the frameworks of understanding what the best options are um, and just work backwards. So like obviously NFP is going to be a quick no for most people. So then you're kind of moving up the chain into copper ID and then hormonal ID and then combo pill. And you're just kind of working through that person's lifestyle factors to pick the one that's the best. Um, And if you just you get all the way to the combo pill, just make sure you're choosing the right one from like a progestin generation, monophasic, all these kinds of things. Yeah, you touched on earlier, and I think it's worth just talking about briefly for people listening, about if you are taking the combined pill, skipping that withdrawal week, mm. Um, mm. and potentially why that's your recommendation when you're talking about physique development. Yeah, it's just going to be that fluctuation in the hormonal environment, right? Like mm-hmm. it's combined oral birth control is not hormone replacement therapy, and it should never be considered that. Um why main reason being like it's just not going to be bioidentical right 
Um, but we can create a little bit more of a stable environment by not removing the the birth control with that that skipping week, um, which is where we can typically see more consistent outcomes from uh, physique considerations, especially like trying to peak an athlete, um, like especially like if it just happens to fall where peak week lands on the removal week, it's like that can get real messy real quick. So for most people, like they could probably still do the removal week and not see too much of a, a change. Um, but we do prefer that like removal of that, uh, that week and just keeping that steady, steady flow in there, um, just for consistency sake, primarily. I think most women I know if they've fallen around their period and they're on the pill around their, their show day, they just keep taking it regardless. It's like you're going on holiday, right? You just don't want, you don't yeah. want the bleed. So you just keep taking the pill for that week. You don't want yeah. the fluctuations, the bloating, the ups and the downs you don't want any digestive issues you just i'll just keep taking it for another month yep yep and so it just it's just creating a consistency in outcomes now um very unpopular within the provider portion of the population right but um i think that the lens you need to look through is physique optimization outcomes right and that's kind of where we that suggestion comes from yeah i think that's understandable um so if you were, let's take myself, for example, if mm. you had a client who had been on the combined pill for over a decade um, and they came to you. And just to point out here, we did touch upon this before we started, um, not to scare anyone, because um, this is like the worst case scenario. And the vast majority of women will come off of contraception and within three to I think it's like nine or ten months, you, you tend to be back pretty uh, pretty normal live and kick in hormones are good cycles in full flow but if you were to have a client come to you who wanted to come off of hormonal hormonal birth control um and did have physique goals um mm. how would you start that process with them to one get them healthy but to not lose out on muscle gaining and or and or kind of keeping that nice tight look if they were in that part of their development phase and they were working towards a show like how would you go about that i think so this that question there is like my favorite one because i think the working towards the show portion of this is where you don't remove it um i i really think that timing removal of birth control is probably the most important aspect of it because we need all of the variables pushing this athlete back to a stable hormonal environment so we know that contest prep from an adaptation standpoint is not going to be that it's going to be the furthest thing from that as far as moving an athlete towards contest stage condition. Um, so where I'm doing this birth control implementation is going to be the first kind of conversation to be had. It's going to be away from a contest prep as far away as possible, but also not typically within the post-show phase um, because I'm trying to mitigate that rapid fat accumulation that could potentially occur from the down regulation of the hormone environment within a phase that's so sensitive. So if you're like looking in this, like from the start of all season, um, kind of through that into whole entire year, um, you're going to work through the post-show phase with it. Let's say you just finished a prep with birth control and play. Um, you finished the prep, work through the post-show phase, get to a little bit more of a stable environment, kind of like that 10 to 12 week mark. Um, as long as we're starting to see body fat back to us close to a normal level and that athlete having the subjective markers that are skewed during prep be restored so like 
high hunger signaling, higher fatigue, all of this is getting back into the place. This is where the conversation of birth control removal, because we know we're at a body fat set point that a mini cut is not coming anywhere near in the future. So we can continue to push this athlete towards higher recovery capacity, potentially even remove the training stimulus down some if needed, um, remove the birth control and give them time to regulate. Now, um, that regulation process is very variable. Um, we know that like average uh, life to follicle reaching uh, ovulation for most is going to be around that 100 day mark, um, plus or minus. But just like everything, it's fairly variable. Um, and the, the thing that I, I struggle with with some females here is they get like two and a half months into this process and they're like, where's my menstrual cycle? And we have to realize that like an ovulatory menstrual cycle is a snapshot of your health three to four months ago, right? So we need to be able to translate that to the client or communicate that to the client of like, look, like this is a process of patience throughout. We need to see where we restore to. Now, the level at which this client competes at will be how patient we are with this process mm -hmm. um, for me, uh, because in like the higher echelons of like professional competing, it's like you're probably creating an artificial hormonal environment fairly quickly. But that comes with the understanding that you're probably putting fertility to the side of it um, as far as like how how prioritized in the outcomes that is. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like amateur athletes who aren't competing at the highest level. We're probably going to have that patience time because they need the time to progress anyways. So giving them that three to four months to fully regulate um, and then. Once we get kind of past that four month mark, um, pulling labs to see kind of what's going on, because hopefully they're at least bleeding again by that point. So they're having unovulatory menstrual cycles. So we can check to see whether that's ovulatory or not with pulling labs seven days before their period. Obviously refraining from using the day 21 moniker because of the variability of length within females. Um, so just to give you guys an idea, like most is going to land between 21 to 35 days. So that's kind of where like menstrual cycle links fall. So seven days before is kind of where we're pulling those labs to see if we're getting that progesterone elevation from ovulation. Um, once we do that, if that's not happening, that's where we're going to be starting to considering HRT practice to try to drive that ovulatory menstrual cycle again. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think you touched on a little bit there, Luke, and didn't go into detail because we were sort of, you're on the trajectory of a different topic, but talking about that level of physique athlete and then how you would then prescribe them differently I think is really important because it comes back to something we spoke about with John last week about level of level of need of the client and then the risk factor that that drives as well so mm. understanding I think for the people listening here that depending on what your long-term goals are and whether that is more maybe fertility driven or maybe it's more physique driven or maybe you think in your head it's both actually understanding that there is a there is a weighing up on the scales here of like the more you chase one the more detriment the other is probably going to be so this is this is something really important to talk about and, and luke talks about get you know regaining the cycle or regaining um hormonal health if you're a high level physique athlete that's going through you know prep off season prep off season and you're chasing the pro status you're chasing olympia qualifications your your period of time to regain health is is very very limited and this is where exogenous hormones are often then put in place such as trt etc and then looking at how you can create a stable hormonal environment 
for somebody who is chasing those goals, but potentially then at the detriment of long-term fertility. Sometimes helping long-term fertility, you know, putting in things like a TRT, and I'm sure you can talk about this, Luke, is actually can be a very good thing for a physique athlete, but understanding that the longer that you're not menstruating because you're going through this prep off-season, prep off-season, and you're chasing these goals, the the more impact you're going to have on long-term fertility. Yeah, I think... This is a hard pill to swallow. Um, and let's let's set the genetic elite off to the side for a bit because they don't count, right? Um, they're the people who can pretty much do whatever they want and still have kids later in life. Um, so outside of that population, um, when we're looking at these like hypermuscular divisions, like figure, WPD, women's bodybuilding, I, I would even at this point make the argument for wellness as well, um, just with the level of muscularity it takes to compete in that class. If you're pursuing that at the highest level, HRT practice is not put in play in order to drive ovulatory menstrual cycles. HRT practice is put into play to optimize physique outcomes and mitigate long-term health risks because we obviously know there how much detriment there is with like spending a long period of time with like just low estradiol. Let's use that as an example, right? Um, we're going to see lower bone mineral density. We're going to see increased CVD risk potentially higher kidney risk as well. It's like just on estradiol, right? So um, with these athletes that are that are out there, a large percentage of them are on full comprehensive HRT therapy without fluctuations to it to drive uh, ovulatory menstrual cycles. And the reality of that is, is that's going to be detrimental to that. Now, the, the point that I like to make within this is the athlete that's kind of in the middle. So the athlete that like still wants to have kids, but really wants to pursue high level goals because this is a really dodgy fence to ride. Um, and the reason I say that is because if you're not genetically on the better scale, just restoring an ovulatory menstrual cycle is not enough. Spending time with an ovulatory menstrual cycle is where we have to be. So I'll see these girls like, it's so fucking frustrating. They'll go through this whole process of like restoring an ovulatory menstrual cycle they'll do a great job of it they're like six months deep they have their first ovulatory cycle and it's like okay i'm restored let's go prep it's like your goal is fertility and you can't spend one month of having an ovulatory menstrual cycle and expect that to be held it's like we need to spend 9 10 11 12 months here probably to really have impactful outcomes for the long term it's like you try telling people who are, in my opinion, dopamine addicted to the social media aspect of competing. And then on top of that, um, trying to pursue it at the highest level while still riding the fertility fence that they can't compete for two and a half years because they wanted to choose that fertility is something they would need to prioritize. It's like that's a quick loss of a client really fast. But the reality of it is, is like that's just how it is. Um out in that population outside of the genetic elite, right? Like I used the case study in the seminar in Dubai where like I had a client get pregnant during prep. It's like that woman has prepped like seven times and has never needed replacement therapy. It's like, of course, she's going to be on the end scale of maintaining fertility, right? So I, I guess my... It's, uh, populating the earth when it all goes to shit, right? <laughs> oh my God, dude, she still won the overall at her show and she was 10 weeks pregnant on stage. <laughs> I was I was flabbergasted. The peak went smooth. Nothing happened. I was she was 10 weeks pregnant. I didn't even know it. We didn't find out until like three weeks after the show. It was wild. But to my 
it, I, I tell that story all the time just because it still blows <laughs> my mind. Um, but to, to kind of get back to the point, it's like restoring all the menstrual cycles is the pinnacle of female health. It's literally the epitome of a healthy female. Yeah. Unfortunately, the reality of this is there's so many conflicting factors that come from even like a pediatric population, like starting birth control at 15 and then you're on it for 12 years. This is going to make it a little bit harder to um, bring that back for a lot of a lot of girls. Right. Um, for some for some girls, it's not like we mentioned, it's just get them back to uh higher body fat percentage, not dieting, doing all that, give them the time to re-regulate and they will um, typically within that like six to 10 month kind of time frame. Um, but you do that, it's like, are they then gonna just turn around and prep? It's like, is that process even worth it for that athlete if they're just gonna turn around and prep again? It's like yeah. you can, in my opinion, and this is just kind of from a coaching perspective, how I communicate this with athletes, it's like, I am happy to coach you with fertility as a big priority you just need to understand that the time difference between that is you're going to spend a lot of time off stage. And if you're not spending that time off stage, we are wasting our time chasing an ovulatory menstrual cycle and then just turning around and dieting, right? Like it's just, it's just not ideal. Now, in push comes shove, like, is it better to get someone back to that state? And then they just happen to make a decision later that they're like, okay, this isn't as important to me as I thought. And I just kind of want to push for this. I would argue yes. And this is where the maturity question comes in. It's like you have a 21-year-old athlete who's telling you, fuck kids. I don't want that shit. It's like she's probably not even mature enough to make that decision for herself where the coaching decision should probably drive her towards restoring that auditory menstrual cycle um, and just taking those longer time periods between stage appearances. But it's also like not just the fertility thing, right? So it's there's so many more health uh, benefits that come from being hormonally sound that yep. I think if someone has said to me when I was in my early 20s, look, like, you might not be able to have kids. I would have been like, I'm having a great time. I don't care. But if someone <laughs> had said to me, like, you're going to have issues remembering where you left your keys and you're not going to be able to run after like the yeah. bus or whatever i'd be a bit like oh okay well i that's kind of important to me yeah that quality of life after bodybuilding is like the buy-in factor i mean it's why i save it for the last portion is because it's like you kind of walk through the fertility stuff right um you ever heard of a compliment sandwich like you get the good you get the bad you get the good right we call um, it a shit so sandwich here in the uk it's a way better analogy <laughs> <laughs> we call it a shit sandwich you can have that one for free loot <laughs> I am going to turn more British by the week at this point <laughs> with all of my friends being in the UK. Jesus Christ. Uh, so I, the I use the feedback. It's like the universal feedback in the UK. Shit sandwich. Give oh a bit of good, give the shit and then give a bit of good just to make them feel a bit better. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I think I used the words proper fucked in my presentation in Dubai just because I was yeah. around so many fucking British people. But um, uh, to bring it back to the point, um, from an attention standpoint, right, you kind of give someone – something really important that catches their attention, kind of give them the stuff that's semi-important just to kind of walk them through all the considerations. And then the final point before you let them talk and come back to you is the one that creates the most buy-in. So that's kind of where you could save that conversation structure for like, look, like 
I get this fertility stuff might not be important to you right now, but the last thing to talk about here is like the long-term health because like, I mean, you can look at, uh, the literature on like, uh, like dementia and, um, what's the other one? Dementia and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yeah. Dementia and Alzheimer's with like lack of estradiol environment. That's like, that shit's fucking real. Like it's, it's, it's not something to take lightly. So, um, you really need to kind of create that buy-in with the overall long-term management of this, which is where in the athlete that I talked about, where it's like the HRT is more creating a better baseline for progress and mitigating long-term health risk. It's like that HRT protocol is so that that doesn't happen. Um, but that athlete has also accepted that there's a high possibility they'll be on HRT for the rest of their life, um, in that way to replace that environment um in order to kind of mitigate that long-term health outcome um so if you want to call it a shit sandwich call it a shit sandwich but from an attention standpoint when you're communicating to a client like catch their attention first give them just the informational spiel you got to give them for them to understand what's going on and then hit it home with the last piece that's most impactful which is the comments you just said hannah where it's like you might not fucking remember where you left your pen like it's the reality of it right Um, and then that creates that buying of like, oh, I probably should be more aware of this. And then you can really start to coach an athlete. Um, I think think you can combine this as well, especially with females, potentially more than males, is that that long term investment in their health that they're, you know, get your menstrual cycle back, spend a little bit of time there. That also not just in terms of health, in terms of getting your menstrual cycle back, especially depending on what kind of level of athlete you are, if you're taking assistance, if you're not. Like Mm. that is going to be the place where you're actually going to change your physique before you next stand on stage anyway. So it's not just about your health. And me and Hannah had this conversation like when we first started doing this together around off season in. And and I said to Hannah, you compete every single year. okay? oh, actually, you only really had a three month off season to grow because by the time you've recovered, by the time you've eaten a little bit and grown a little bit and then you're back in prep, you've not really had much chance to change. So I think there's a double sell there, like not only from a health point of view, but okay spending some time there's going to be good for longevity in your own health but actually like if you want to turn up different you're gonna you need to spend some time there anyway so actually there's a bit of a sell there I think as well in not that we're trying to manipulate clients into spending more time there but sometimes if we know that the risk for them or maybe we don't think that their decision making from a maturity point of view can be there in terms of not wanting kids maybe like we can promote that time spent in that phase as well i think especially with like younger athletes yeah and i don't know if you've seen t-ball but you just put the ball in the tee for me next um to tee it off i think there's a lot of uh, a conversation around that with hrt practice as well you get a lot of females that come across my desk that are scared shitless of doing any type of hormone replacement therapy because yeah. of their association with that and it's like but they have that mentality of like the health stuff is cool and all, but I just need to to progress. And it's like the example I use in Dubai at the seminar of like creating that larger area under the curve. And I don't have a whiteboard for the viewers, but um, if you just look at like uh, like a, a graph, so like X Y chart, um, and you look at an athlete who does super physiological PED implementation at certain points during the year with no HRT practice, what's happening is is you're getting that progress spike for six to twelve weeks, depending on duration of exposure. But then on those times in between, they're dipping back down to the zero on that axis of like very minimal progress, where the reality of HRT is, is that baseline environment is stable 
for a lot longer. And we're actually making progress with that optimized hormone environment using HRT, where if you look at it over a, a like a 52 week time span, that area under the curve or the amount of progress, I would argue you could take one PD escalation with a female athlete in a year with someone who's doing HRT practice versus an athlete who's not in doing three or four and make more progress with that female who's doing one in the year. You're going to mitigate the risk for androgenic side effects. You're going to optimize the health outcomes. You're going to optimize the performance outcomes, and you're going to optimize the physique development. It's like, I know that sounds like having your cake and fucking eating it too, but the reality of it is, is, is if you create a better baseline, more progress is going to happen over the entire year. This is a conversation I've had with quite a few people is that I think because HRT or TRT is quite a new, it's not a new thing, but commonly openly spoke about, almost promoted, it is a new thing, um, something that people are talking about a lot more. Um, and I do think there are many females that are kind of scared of this and they're like, oh my God, putting testosterone in my body, I'm not sure. And having that com- that conversation with them to say, actually, this is a safe, a safer practice for you to be doing than running small even small amounts of androgen exposure through your off season in phases you're going to get a lot more from running something around or just above like a, a physiological range of testosterone in throughout your whole phases than actually just trying to I'm going to quote throw in some anavar in your off season to try and grow a little bit of tissue you're going to get more out of it and it's going to be safer and flipping that mindset is something that we've really tried to do on this podcast as well and just raise that awareness a bit. And it's something we spoke to John about last week about really mm. trying to educate people. And this is the point of this to say that's not unsafe. And when you actually weigh up all these different things, like you're going to get more out of that probably, and it's going to be safer probably. So we just need to open people's eyes to this a little bit and just become a little bit more educated and a little bit less obtuse to the fact that yes, it's testosterone, but that's fine. I think um, John made a fantastic point about the amount of testosterone that women have versus estrogen. Um, Yeah. Which I didn't know. And I was just like, well, there you go then, because there's this idea, which I do think that we're breaking through at the moment. And I do speak for the the royal we in the sense that there's the more people that are talking about it. Luke just noticed another English saying the royal we. Um, I'm still in that one too. <laughs> Go. Yeah, so I think that the more we kind of break the boundary of like, you're not going to look like a man because it's flowing in all of us uh, comparatively to other hormones. It's like, don't, like, don't worry, we, we've got it. We've got quite a lot of it. You're not going to get a big jaw and you're not going to start growing loads of hair and you're not going to, I don't know your voice isn't getting to get deeper and all that like you you can see all of these women that are high level in the sport that are using um trt that still look very feminine very feminine like you wouldn't even know i mean yeah, yeah. look at mads and i i mean i'm working to 212 but it, there's, there's plenty of time still <laughs> left to get there <laughs> oh i think uh and look to bring it back because we haven't touched on this hannah is like the extreme case of you, right? Like, what does that look like? Because there are going to be that population out there, and they probably want to hear it, um, of like 12 years of birth control, going through two years of seeing specialists and still not having any outcomes. It's like we can use bioidentical hormone replacement therapy to drive ovulatory menstrual cycles again. 
Um, so just implementation of that is just basically creating the stable environment first and then fluctuating the progesterone dose in order to mimic that elevation of progesterone throughout the actual menstrual cycle where you're having, uh, so let's just talk a 28 day menstrual cycle for ease of conversation. So um, first 14 days, second 14 days. So you're having like a dose of progesterone kind of throughout that first portion of the phase. It's gonna be really low. Some people, I've seen some people do it where they completely remove it. Um, I try not to typically do that because of the sleep metrics that I see really fucking tank. On the back end, we know bioidentical hormonal replacement therapy on the progesterone side is going to aid in sleep. So what that may look like is like, and I'm going to use Prometrium as my conversation here, um, just because bioidentical oral is fairly accessible where, where I'm at. Um, 50 milligrams, let's say, through that first phase, right? And you're kind of taking them through that. And then as you kind of bring into that second phase, you're going to bring that progesterone dose up to like 200, 300 milligrams, depending on the athlete. Um, and, and really try to drive that like signaling of that progesterone elevation to say, Hey, like we need to start ovulating again. And then you're just going to take that athlete through that process a few times. Typically you'll see it, it come back, right? It's, uh, a lot's going to depend on where like the health metrics are at from like a body fat percentage. Are they dieting? Are they not dieting? Kind of like that. But the reality of it is just like we talked about, like if you're going through that process to try to restore that then you're probably in a longer phase to do that because we're actually making better decisions about when to try to pull that trigger on that. So um, I think it's a great way to do it. I think it's um, not very spoken about just because within the conversations we're typically having, it's all like physique outcomes, physique outcomes, physique outcomes, right? But um, there, there is certainly going to be the population out there where it's like, fuck, I've been off birth control two years and nothing's still happening. It's like we really need to figure out a way to make it happen for that for that female. Yeah. Um, and like you say, it is the worst outcome. Um, and as I mentioned before, we started the pod and started recording. Just if anyone's listening and they're like, I'm in the same boat as as you. I've had like two women that have actually been in, been literally in the same boat as me. Everyone else has kind of started to get signs back after a month or two. Mads can probably attest to many of her clients being in a similar situation. Mm. Um so yeah, just don't freak out. Like it, it's probably not going to yeah. be you, like Luke said. It's just one of those things. But I think it's really important for conversations like this to educate around what you sh- you could do, just to kind of be prepared um, rather than react. Like be proactive for it um, and have mm. a, a good coach that knows what they're doing with regards to female health hormones um, and birth control as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to touch on because you will have those athletes because where I typically see it or or where I've done it the most, I should say, um, is the athlete exiting competing. So like they've been competing for a long time and they're trying to kind of gain that back. And then that's kind of where the implementation of this is happening. Um, and so for that athlete, it's like, okay, every variable can start to go towards fertility or restoring this. And it's like, Okay, let's pull training down to three or four days a week. Let's start to reduce that cardiovascular activity. Let's make sure the body composition is not too far out from a fat perspective, but also not trying to get lean, right? Like now we start having this conversation of like lifestyle factors contributing to this as well, which is important. Like it's 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 an important consideration, right? There's a reason why girls with with estrogen dominance, the first thing people do is remove the xenoestrogens. Like it's those lifestyle factors are very impactful. It's like 
let's move everything towards that goal and we can create that outcome a little bit faster typically i think patience is key here as well like people come out we can talk about the scenario of coming out the back of prep if you haven't if you're not using a trt dose and you you are a fully natural athlete for example and you're coming off the back of a prep having that patience with building up body fat levels building up food understanding that you need to be in a healthy environment before something like this is going to return and then giving that time as well you know people rush this stuff so much um rush a recovery phase out oh god is it eight weeks yet is it 10 weeks yet okay like can i move on and um i think the patience here is key and and kind of touching on that as well luke like if if you have been patient like hannah for a long time and and you do end up going down the route of using like trt and to to create that that stability and then still trying to regain a cycle using synthetic progesterone like if you're still not retrieving a cycle i guess after a period of time how long Mm. would you suggest that you should allow that to kind of try and regain once you're in a healthy saving environment like a perfect scenario and you you're implementing that that system Mm. if you're not recovering something within two three four five months like what would you give as a parameter for that and then what other steps would you put in place for somebody to say okay well you're still not regaining it are we going to look at synthetic e2 or are we going to are we going to not or how would you then manage that client or would you set expectations to them to say that might not be something that's going to happen yeah i think it's expectation setting to start as like that might not be something that happens um, which is where then the IVF, if, if fertility is the goal, the IVF conversation starts to come in there. Yeah. Um, which is a whole other, that's, that's, that's wild. We won't get into the stuff for that, but um, the conversation around synthetic E2, right? Let's talk forms first. So typically going either biased cream um, or ideally like an E2 patch, um, just serum levels with E2 patches as far as like the elevation of serum estradiol slightly better outcomes with the patch than we're seeing with like bias cream um so the the cream for those who don't know is a intravaginal application of an estradiol cream um so this is very commonly prescribed just from like an ease of implementation but the patch is also a very big ease of implementation typically from like a serum level we're seeing better outcomes so ideally if we need it we're going that direction so let's let's bring it back to where we need it so um ideally we're following that lab work with this athlete very frequently. Um, so I'm testing every four to six weeks typically to see if we're seeing any changes in that environment. So if we're not, and we talked about like lifespan of a follicle already, um, and we're getting to that three or four month mark. We're not seeing any changes. We're, we're typically kind of seeing estradiol not even raise at all. That's when we're kind of bringing in that estradiol to to replacement for replacement there alongside the progesterone, um, but it is a little bit scientific method in nature in that you can only make so much change and then check it and then change and then check it and then change and then check it, which is where the the expectations around patients that you mentioned Mads is really important because. Mm-hmm. It's so hard on a female, um, especially the female that wants to get pregnant it's like every month they see that not come back it's like that's another month that they're further away from their goal like i'll leave i've even seen girls like people who aren't jealous individuals be jealous of individuals who get pregnant or are having their ovulatory menstrual cycles come back because they want it so bad right um so patience is the hardest part with this client 
Um, it's where you lose a lot of clients because the patience is the hardest thing. Um, but we're taking that step by step. So I'm typically pulling labs with that af- athlete at minimum every six weeks um, and just seeing how that's changing. Now, um, the hard part of this is, is like, where is this athlete at in their menstrual bleeds? Like, are they not even having them? And we're just trying to get that back first. Or do we have a menstrual bleed where we can more time it around that and then pull it seven days before and see where we're at with this, like moving variables. Um, but yeah, consistency and tracking and, and making sure that we're changing one thing at a time to move them in the right direction. It's kind of where this starts to fall, which makes this process a little bit longer most of the time. Um, but the tracking methods are important, like using temperature for ovulation, like that's important. Like we need to be using that as a, a tracking metric. I really like an app called Eve. Um, so we can still map it out and keep it on the uh, on that app. The thing I like about Eve is it for the people you do do NFP with, it'll give you percentages of likelihood of pregnancy. So that's kind of the reason I typically go towards that one. Yeah, but to bring it, those that people use in the UK, I think it's like Flow. Um, there's a couple of them. I think Olivia Hofsky's new app Femtech as well does that. Um, okay. She she created like a baby the one the other day. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's quite a few that do that. But I think that I think that um, expectation management thing is so important with this because the one thing that we know does hinder like cycles coming back is stress and mm. this expectation of things happening. And I was like that when I had my implant taken out. I like sat there waiting like, oh okay, like is it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be six weeks? Is it going to be eight weeks? Like oh, after two and a half weeks, like I like I I gained like got a cycle. And I was expired. It was like on the edge. It didn't. And I was running TRT. So, you know, I was put in a stable hormone environment pretty quickly. So I was I was in a good situation. But straight away, I was like, wow, how long is this going to take? This could be crazy. Like, I don't even know. Will it even come back? And I think people sit there like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting with this expectation. And what I found sometimes with a few clients is when they kind of like give up hope of it and they're like oh it's been three months now so it's just not going to come and they stop thinking about it and they just crack on then it then it appears like and then they get that and I think okay you could say that's because there's more time has passed and all that kind of stuff but there's a massive factor for me of stressing about it and waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it and just just sitting there every day and when it doesn't come being disappointed and stressed about it and as soon as they think that it's gone out of the question and stop thinking about it you'll find it returns um mm. so that expectation management i think is really important to understand it's not going to happen straight away and don't sit there expecting it to yeah i think i think that's where i like to kind of just do the education portion around like length of follicle restoration towards auditory because it's like straight out the gate you're like oh fuck that's a long time right it's like if we're getting that snapshot of what we look like three or four months ago as like the visual that client sees is like the non-nerdy way to say it to them it's like that's kind of where you create that buy-in on the patients a lot of times where they can relax and i'll i'll actually use a tally mark system too i don't know if you guys have used this um where they they carry a notepad with them and every time they react negatively or have a negative emotion they put a, a tally mark down and the goal is to kind of beat that tally of like reducing the stress and the negative emotions that they're having on the day-to-day basis um, and then redirect that into something that gives them fulfillment so um, each time that they have that tally mark, you're telling them, let's redirect it into a thought about what does give you fulfillment on the day to day. 
And so that way you can start to create more positive thoughts, less negative thoughts and manage the stress portion of the lifestyle factors. A bit like when people ping the elastic band on their wrist. Yep. Um, there was just um, you've mentioned this a couple of times um, just to flick back to something you said a, a second ago there. Um, the time to restoration of a follicle is not yeah. something we've talked about with anyone else on any other episode. And I'm sure that I'm like, I have an idea of what you're talking about, but I'm sure there's lots of people that are like, he said that a couple of times. So what's, what's that? So if you could like explain that to us, I think that would be really, really valuable. Yeah. Uh, let's do physiology one-on-one. Um, so <laughs> what is a follicle? And... <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy. All right. Um, when we look at y'all don't do y'all know what that is never mind um <laughs> what is ovulation right like so when we have a follicle and it it gets released or it bursts and the eggs are released um it's turning into corpus luteum which is then creating that elevation in progesterone right so this is all of it ovulation 101 okay that time development of that follicle it takes time for that follicle to develop into something that when it reaches the ovulation point, it will actually burst and create corpus luteum on the back end. Um, so that's not happening on a monthly basis, right? So the follicles that are, are bursting and creating that hormone environment by, you know, releasing the eggs and then we're getting the corpus luteum production are actually a snapshot of that follicle starting to go through that process of developing into that three or four months ago. So this is where that that comment comes from it's like right if you don't even have follicles developing or moving towards the ability to to burst it's like yeah well no shit you're not going to have an auditory menstrual cycle like nothing's ready to to go um it's like that's kind of where this process comes from and only reason i bring it up is because of the extreme nature of competing it's like you do see the extreme cases where you're not having like any anything from a production standpoint um which is also and this is peppy 101 um providers who prescribe PCOS via ultrasound of cystic um, ovaries is like you're basically just seeing a follicle that didn't make it to uh, ovulation um, and they're seeing that like cystic nature of it because it didn't burst and and go into the ovulation process right um, PCOS criteria has nothing to do with ultrasounds being um, seeing cysts on the ovaries right um, so if we have an understanding of like what actually causes or what does the follicle go through, what does the process go look like with that follicle walking through into that, that place, it's like, okay, there's time for that development of that follicle to happen before we can actually ovulate. Right. So then you're creating more buying with the client by educating them and like, Hey, um, I obviously don't have an understanding of exactly how long your follicles have been moving towards that goal. Um, but this is like potentially the time duration that it could take um and so it like kind of helps ease that mind of this is could be a long game and then what's better is creating the expectation of four months and it comes back in two and you're like yay go us or like you're you're looking at like a, a athlete that's like from day one obsessing over when is it coming back it's like i'd rather the first option than the second option so yeah, that's kind of where that comes from um it, I think that would probably uh, give people a little bit of peace of mind as well. Like when someone yeah. says wait three or four months, you're like, oh, fuck's sake, why would I wait that long? Like it'll come <laughs> back. Like Sarah down the road got hers after one week. Like you're just going to think of random, you know, 
like we said that the highlights um when actually if you can say the vast majority of people take three or four months for this reason then it maybe will like alleviate some of the stress and some of the worry and then then you're not adding that into the mix you know I think there's a lot to be said for that education around it rather than just saying it is what it is um, and I think that happens a lot. I think I think yeah. this is a, a an important important thing to touch on as well for people who are listening who are clients of coaches like being a client that also educates yourself now I'm not talking about believing everything you read on Google but like, as a female um, it's something that I don't know what it's like in the US Luke but in the UK even at school we're taught so limited things about like female health and menstrual cycle like I have Same. I have women come to me and they don't even know like that you have a follicular and luteal phase in your cycle they're like what's mm. that like understanding some basics around female health and understanding basic like physiology of yourself like is, is really important and that, that's not anything too complicated you can read that on google and you can believe it like most sources are going to say the same thing so having a level of understanding as a client as well of maybe your body how it does function so that you can create um some kind of like basis of knowledge and expectation for yourself as well because although your coach should be educated in this and be able to reassure you and help you understand what's going on you know there is a responsibility as as clients as well to understand what we're doing um so I think that level of education is important as well. Yeah, and I think that's why the female module came to be, right? Is like, we just saw this huge fucking hole in coaches of like not even knowing what they're looking at. It's like, let's give them a resource to coach people. Like, it's not, it may sound like a bad business move on my part as far as like separating myself, but it's like, man, my goal is to leave this industry better than I found it. It's like, does that accomplish that goal? It's like, absolutely it does. Um, you know, I, I, I want to coach at the highest level, but I'm, I'm going to get more satisfaction out of improving the overall outcomes across the entire industry and getting less people coming across my desk fucking distraught because of the coaching practices that they've been coming yeah. from. Right. So. But um, not just educating the coaches, but having informed decisions around what you're doing with your own body and not yeah. just listening to a coach or a doctor or what your mate said down down at the pub like actually I know what I'm putting in my body I know why I'm putting it in my body and I know the long term the short and long term health benefits and impacts of doing so I think for a very very long time not just in um, hormonal health because that happened when we were all 14 to 16 but also like now with what seems to be becoming more and more prevalent is PED use in female competitors, or at least mm. people are talking about it more. Maybe it's been prevalent this whole time. Um, and like people taking ownership of what they're doing because they actually understand it and not just it all being done in the shadows and just accepting what someone told you because there's no education out there to know better. Yeah, I think client education is important, whether it's done via the coach or done via self-investment in that like you have a responsibility in the decision making that is happening it's like the the place i hesitate with that hannah and just the reality of it is because you brought this topic up um is it's it's very easy for a coach or an athlete who is not coaching females at a high level or putting winning athletes on stage or actually taking care of like menstrual cycle health with their athletes to sit that camera right here in front of them 
and say the best PED choice for females is Primo and Mastron. It's like, I don't give a flying fuck what the best choice is. If that female is like so far gone from a baseline hormonal environment that she should look like that it's causing long-term detriment and short-term detriment. It's like that person is so far removed from what it actually looks like from a nuts and bolts coaching situation. Because the reality of this is, it's like, this is very variable. And unless you've been doing this with clients and doing that, like, and gaining that experience, you can sit in front of camera all day and tell me, tell me whatever it is you're reading off of Google. But if you're not talking about the variability in the presentation of these athletes and how you're seeing this come across your desk, it's like, I don't, I don't know where some of that education sometimes is, is falsely led where then the conversation more becomes. And just because I've seen the PED female stuff come up so much, it's like, what's the best compound to use? It's like, girl, you don't even have your shit straight. Like, we can't even talk about the PED to use until we figure this stuff out. So there there comes a client and an athlete with false expectations of immediate, immediate PEDS deployment, when in reality, the first step is fixing the baseline. And you've got to go through that whole buy-in process with that athlete. So um, I think where the education portion should be would be understanding what does a healthy female look like and then what does that look like for you and your pursuit of your goals yeah good i think that just to add on to that as well i think a female client is actually quite good at this usually because they're quite curious i think oh, more yeah, than are. men i think that females are quite curious so they like to understand um so i think that applies more to like male coaches than female clients because I think female clients actually want to know. Like I've got, I've got a bunch of my female clients who've signed up for the, the female module on J3 because they're super curious and they're like, okay, well tell me more. Like I'm doing this, I want to know more. And I think that it's actually the male coaches that sometimes can be a little bit obtuse as opposed to like female clients or female competitors that are actually really interested in understanding what's going on. And that I think that's just a, fe- I think that's just a female thing. I don't know. We're just nosy uh, bastards. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, and, no one uh, answers put, for everything. Why, why, why? It's yeah. don't, great. Don't, don't put me on a soapbox, but I'll start. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I know we're, we're going pretty long here, but um, with the male coaches perspective, like that's why I always typically go directly to education for coaches is like it's because that's where the problem is the most. 100 percent. 100 percent. Um, because the reality is more drugs do more, right? So you throw more drugs at a female athlete, more outcomes come off on the back end um, in that acute time frame. Yeah. But they don't see the next three to four years of that athlete and what that looks like from the disarray that happens because of that acute time frame. Um, and so you get these coaches that are like, fuck it, I'm winning. Like, um, or I put a couple of great athletes on stage or I had exhibit a resilient athlete who didn't need this. Why does everybody need this? Or why do other people need this? It's it's just that kind of connection of like, they're pursuing one thing and that is winning for their business, which I get, that's a very important thing. And I, I shouldn't be sitting here talking about this if I wasn't winning on stage. But the reality is, is there also needs to be that dialogue of caring for your client and your athlete and what's best for them and prioritizing that over what's best for your business. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand, right? Like I don't deserve this seat to talk to you guys unless I'm winning on stage and taking care of my clients as the main priority, right? Like I could know this information inside out as a bookworm and just recite it back to you. 
But if I haven't won a fucking show in the last year, like, what does it matter? Like, it, I'm not doing anything that's successful. And that's not to deter people who are getting into coaching because there's just a progression to that, right? It's just learn and apply and find mentors and move through that process because the reality is with the main problem with male coaches is um, the short-term view of what's best for my business leaves a lot of females as being used for the production of that. And um, and to be careful, like be careful with women. I mean, be careful with everyone, but um, like we said in the last episode, we're not mini men. So you yeah. can't treat us like mini men. And if you do, and if you're treating the, the men possibly like a, maybe not in the best way and you're just doing the same with the women it's it's going to be even an even bigger outcome so like as in a worse one so she needs to be very very careful I think I do mm. think the industry is changing I think that previously oh, I, I would say the last like especially over the last five five years as as I've come through this industry as a competitor as well I've seen a lot of like results talk results talk results talk and and now everything is kind of shifting like yeah results to talk but what are you doing for your athlete like the people who are shouting the loudest to say, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm not prepared to, like, Corey's a massive advocate of it. Obviously, he's had two heart, two heart attacks and all he talks about is, I'll get you to where you want to be, but in a safe manner. You're getting bloodstone, we're doing this. You're having, you're having scans done on your heart. You know, this is so important and the industry is changing to be more acceptant. And the more people that are jumping on that bandwagon, you're seeing a shift in the scales now where, more people are supporting that side of the fence than the other side of the fence and this kind of results result results people are now looking at the people who are shouting you know results talk results talk and being like they do but what was he doing to be in order to get there or what was she doing in order to get there mainly he because of the excess amount of androgen use that males use Mm. but the industry is changing and that health priority is becoming more of a priority and you can see it everywhere and it's and it is thanks down to like J three J three U and 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 just generally coaches like promoting this like safer, yeah, safer model use and we're talking a little bit about men here but in in general um, and more females coming forward saying that they're using pads you know implementing TRT people becoming more um, understanding of it um, there there is a change I can see it massively and you can probably see it massively as well Luke don't get me wrong there's still absolute bandits out there doing whatever they want that's fine. But the industry is shifting a little bit and people are more health conscious. And it is questions that people are asking more now. Like, okay, great. They get great results, but they also look after their athletes. And I can see that. And that is getting more and more and more important, I think, to to clients, especially with the male like deaths and issues that we've seen over the last like five years. I think people are really opening their eyes, which which is important, really important. It's good to see. I think it's so important too to prepare your your athletes for their interactions with the medical community because there's there's bad apples in every sphere, right? Like I just I I just had a a client who the practitioner she went to suggested a 40 milligram once a month dose of testipionate once a month. Like can you imagine what that peak to valley looks like? It's like how is this person practicing as a medical practitioner? Um, that's almost like reportable to the board, but um, you need to have that understanding for yourself and that understanding from your coach that, you know, what is under the hood? Like what is creating the result? Is that under the hood complete disregard for the long term of the athlete 
or is what's under the hood a sound, logical plan that is going to take care of optimizing health outcomes and result outcomes together, which is where most of us are shifting to, um, which is so good to see because that's like where it needs to go um, so that we're prepared for bad practitioners who give bad advice, but we're also prepared um, for the situations that run through bad coaches and you you open the hood, you're like, holy fuck, this is a mess. Well, I know in the US you can go to practitioners and you get things prescribed and it's a lot easier in some ways I think to do that in the UK so a little bit black market and you in terms of getting health screening for this sort of stuff you have to go privately like you go to a private blood lab Um now there is there's a few companies in the UK that obviously do private blood testing but the blood labs are run by doctors so yeah. the guy that runs it Chris he's got four degrees he's a doctor Um and the reason why he started that was because he was a bodybuilder and a doctor and he ended up in hospital and he was like, hmm, the, the health care for bodybuilders is really shit. Mm. So tell you what, I'm a doctor. I'm going to go and be the healthcare professional for, for bodybuilders. And he created he created his company. And the good thing about that is you're getting health advice when you get your bloods done from somebody who is a GP or not a GP. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a very specialist doctor. But he... He can give you actually good advice relatable to the industry, which is yeah. which is quite a new thing really in the UK. And it's really, really important. And he gives that advice to coaches. He works with the coaches that work with him to actually say, OK, well, this is what the athletes buds mean and look like. And these are things what we need to be looking at, which is really important because it, I think it doesn't matter how how much education maybe a coach has got on bloods um, and understanding markers like having a professional that has the interest of the bodybuilder at heart as well is really important, not just like a general practitioner that can just give you blanket advice, which is usually awful. And and in my experience, the the general practitioner, the doctor, the specialist, they always start the conversation with going, I don't know a lot about your sport. And you're like, we're already on the back foot because they start the conversation by saying, I'm going to talk to you about this, but I don't I don't know about this. And then the next question without fail every time is, are you on steroids? Because you yeah. know that that's what they want to blame it on. Um, and, and I don't like just to back what Mad says, I don't think that there's the education there. So I think that since I started in this um, sport like eight, eight years ago, the change has been dramatic. It's, it's, it's like a different industry entirely. And it's really nice to know that people that are coming up in it and are new to it are going to be listening to podcasts like this, are going to be on platforms like J3 University, and they are going to have that education available to them that many, many people haven't had. And I really do hope that going forwards, people will be able to make informed decisions for their own health and will be educated when they go to speak to doctors about problems they've had or they go to speak to a coach that they know whether that person is going to be able to help them or not. Yeah, that's Meta Impact 101, right? Mm. Like, the whole reason I do this is how big can my ripple go and yeah. affect as many people as I can I can affect. So um, I think it's cool. I think it's nice to see practitioners like you brought up, Mads, that are doing that because it allows the coaches to work in tandem with someone um, and, and it does create a, a better overall outcome for the client. Um, you do see some coaches who have too much ego to be able to do that, and it's unfortunate, but um, you, you should aim to, to search for those practitioners who do fully understand that and have that understanding of that culture because 
when you do, man, it's a diamond in the rough and it's so valuable to your coaching practice. Well, I think we've had an absolutely fantastic conversation. (laughs) I'm conscious that we've taken up over an hour and 20 minutes of Luke's very valuable time. Um, But I've loved every minute of that. I've learned more than I thought I would because obviously we've had eight or nine episodes now. Um, Mm. But yeah, amazing to kind of come out of that with so much more information um, and to see both sides of the coin as well, like talking about the good good and the bad of of contraception and and female health Mm. and looking at longevity as well. Yeah, Um, this was definitely a different angle, I think, a little bit this week. I think it's been interesting and helpful for people as well because we're not just talking about what people maybe should do or the ideal scenario, like understanding that everyone is different. Yeah. And I think giving people a bit of a takeaway to think about what their long-term plans are maybe and how that's going to impact their their decision-making as a bodybuilder and then maybe what kind of route they go down, I think is probably a big takeaway. We did touch on it last week, but I think this week in a lot more detail. So yeah, it was helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you guys too for having these kinds of conversations. Like, it's important to instigate that. Like, you don't invite me on this podcast, this conversation never happens. So it's a big thanks to you guys, too. Thank you very much. Um, and if anyone is looking for you and for some reason they have decided to not crawl out from their rock, where can they <laughs> find you, Luke? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at No Switch Fitness pretty much across all platforms. So um, YouTube, Instagram, all of that's going to be No Switch Fitness. Um, I've got all of the classic Fitfluencer link in bio stuff for everything that you need. <laughs> um, but I'll also be doing like all of my pretty much uh, personal education stuff on J3 University. So I have my the female module that I did with John on there. We also have AHO, which is the Applied Hypertrophy Optimization module um, on there as well, um, with a lot of new stuff coming out there. And then like full forums for people to get help with their clients and the, their process. So um, I do spend a lot of time there as well. But for any information on me, like No Switch Fitness on Instagram is probably the best because that's where we're doing all of our events and making sure you guys know what's going on. Um, and stay tuned because the next one is in Australia. So it's going to be a, a fun trip um, come into the year. So y'all stay tuned for the details on that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Mads. Thank you, Luke. And until next time, 